There we go. It's like Leave it to Beaver all over again, for those that can remember. Well, I didn't wear blue and white today to rub it in in any way, so... And today I'm going to be talking about grieving, so there is a little bit of a connection there that uh, I'll leave that to you. Uh, our new series, as uh, was mentioned, is The Elephant in the Room, and that saying means a major problem or a controversial issue that is obviously present but is avoided because it's more comfortable not to talk about it. In this series, we're going to be talking about Jesus' uh, view of family, talking a little bit about loneliness, family history, and marriage, and kids, and a whole bunch of other things that are in there. And our passage to ponder uh, for this series is uh, 1 Peter 4, 7 to 8, and uh, we'll dig into it a little bit more as we go through this series and walk through. But would you read this with me today? Uh, just take a minute. Let's read it together. The end of all things is near... Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. There are some family issues that we just don't want to talk about. If you've watched the movie Encanto, you uh, know we don't talk about Bruno, and I won't sing that for you today, but you'd be very familiar about that. In my family, uh, we don't talk about Linda because I was supposed to be a girl. Uh, my mother got pregnant for the fourth time, was hoping after three boys that she would have a chance. She had a name picked out, and I came into the world, so I didn't fulfill that dream that she had, and so we just don't bother talking about Linda. <laughs> Sonny and I don't talk about Madison, because when uh, she was pregnant with our third, at the first ultrasound, they said, congratulations, you're going to have a girl. And so we were excited, and we went out and bought a dress for this girl that was going to come, and went for the second ultrasound, and Sonia said to the attendant, uh, can you just confirm the sex that it's going to be a girl? And they said, uh, no, it's going to be a boy. And we were like, what? And what were we going to do? We had this dress, so we put it away, and after Quentin was born, our third, I came home one day after work. And Quentin was, was uh, in this dress that we had bought. <laughs> and I thought that Sonia was losing her mind at this moment. I'm thinking, what is happening here? And she said, I, I just had to put the dress on him. It's, it's helping me sort of grieve that I didn't have a girl and now I have a boy. Not that boys are bad, but that she had to go through that process. When something happens in our life or in our family and things don't go as expected or that there's loss... We go through a process called grieving. And our elephant in the room that we're going to talk about today is grieving what we didn't have. There is a family loss and grief that are at epidemic levels these days. I know that you know this. The mental health crisis, uh, some of the statistics out of the Center of Addiction and Mental Health says by the age of 40, one in two people will, will have or have had some form of mental illness. The 2020 stats suggest that 11 people in Canada commit suicide each day. Then there's substance and opioid addiction, 67,000 deaths a year attributed to substance abuse. Then there's a loss of a family member or a, a child or a friend, a parent. I've heard people say a parent should never have to bury their children, grief. 
Just three weeks ago, I was attending a funeral and, and met up with a pastor that I knew, and he shared with me about an individual that I had actually worked with as an electrician and knew, and that he had passed away from COVID. Just this week, found out about some pastors, uh, Lynn and Ruth Pinkston, who uh, served in the POC for many years, who passed away within three days of each other. We worked with them a little bit when we were in Brantford. Then there is this thing called the deconstruction of faith. This idea of working through what our faith really means. And, and it's a crisis of faith that has happened where people begin to reevaluate and even uh, begin to abandon their faith. Some people spiraling into uh, destructive cynicism or, or a self-righteous judgment or deconversion, as they call it. Walking away completely because they really have no need for God or faith in their lives. Where there's the epidemic of estrangement, broken relationship, and divorce. Carl Pilmer from the Cornell Family Reconciliation Project says 20% of American adults are estranged right now. And it's this idea that people have that their life is better without their parents or their family in their lives. And so they cut them off completely with no interaction. This one's close to home for me because I have a family member who's chosen to do that. Grief. And then there's the personal regret and the guilt of decisions made in the past that maybe no one even knows about, but decisions made. And there's that regret that's there of thinking, if only I had made a different decision. And the grief that comes with that. I remember sitting in a coffee shop, and I overheard a conversation. I heard this person say, I don't think my spouse will ever forgive me for that decision. If we were to do a poll today, all of us, I'm sure, would respond in some way that we have been impacted by pain, suffering, and we're experienced loss and grief in our lives in the many different forms. And for some people today, the grief and the loss has been so bad that it's like a bad dream. Where you wake up, you're in this dream, and you're looking in the mirror, and there's this gaping hole in your body, and you're in trauma because you don't know what to do at this moment. There's so much grief, so much loss that you've experienced and that people around us are experiencing. Well, let me tell you today, God knows about grief. He knows all about grief, and we're going to take a few minutes this morning, and we're going to talk about Jesus, who we know was God in the flesh, that he came. He knows grief. The first experience of grief that we read about, not there's others, but the three we're going to focus on is in Gethsemane. This garden that Jesus and his disciples are having the Last Supper together, they're having the Passover meal, and they leave, and they go out across the Kidron Valley into the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says in Matthew 26, 37 to 39, that he took Peter and, his two, uh, and the two uh, sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The writer in Hebrews adds to this. He says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. 
Jesus knows about grief. In fact, the words that are used in that Matthew passage in Hebrews are words of Jesus' response describe him as distress under severe mental strain, almost to the point of depression regarding what was to come because he was going to bear the sin of all humanity on him. Now stay with me today. There's hope as we wander through this today and navigate it. So don't get all depressed and don't get sad on me today. But hang in there. I've got, there's more to this. Jesus experienced grief at the edge of Jerusalem. Of all days on the triumphal entry when Jesus is traveling from the Mount of Olives and, 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 the, and the people are so excited. They, they're expecting this political Messiah, this Savior who's going to come, free them from Roman rule and tyranny. And so they put down the palm branches and their jackets and Jesus is, is on this donkey traveling towards Jerusalem. And it says in Luke 19... 41 to 44, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. They will not leave one stone on another, and he's talking about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The words that Jesus, that are used to describe Jesus' response here are referred to mourning and lamenting over what might have been. Instead of belief, Jesus knew at that moment, instead of the crowds, uh, he knew that within a week's time that they were going to go crucify him, crucify him. And so he had this grief at what might have been. And then there's the story at Lazarus' tomb. We're going to dive a little deeper into this one, which we find in, in John chapter 11, verse 1 to 44. Let me unpack it for a few minutes. There's these two women, Mary and Martha, who are uh, followers of Jesus and their brother Lazarus. And, and to, for Jesus, the, these people were like family to him. They lived in the town of Bethany, and he's close to them, and he's connected to them. And Lazarus becomes sick. So the sisters send for Jesus. They, they know where he is because they're tracking with him and the disciples, and so they send for him to come right away because they're expecting if Jesus comes, everything's going to be all right. You sometimes feel like that, right? Jesus comes, everything's going to be all right. So they're, they're expecting Jesus to come if they invite him. And when Jesus hears this, as we know, when Jesus did his ministry on earth, he was empowered by the Spirit, and the Spirit worked through him and revealed to him things and the Spirit reveals to Jesus that sick, this sickness will not end in death, that there is, it was going to bring glory to God. So what does Jesus do? He decides to stay put for two days. He stays there, and while he's there, he even speaks to the disciples, and he reveals to them another revelation. He says, Lazarus has just fallen asleep, and I'm going there to wake him up. And they're like, okay, Jesus, let's go. They, they don't really know. And as you read through the Gospels about the disciples, there's lots of times where they go, okay, whatever you say, Jesus, and they don't really know what he's talking about. It's only later that they sort of understand everything. And Jesus arrives at the edge of Bethany, and Lazarus is dead. In fact, he's been dead for four days. This is significant because for the Jews at that time, 
They believe that when a person died, that their soul sort of hung around for three days and that there was a chance that they may come back to life and that the soul would go back into the body. But this is the fourth thing. And so for the Jews that are there, they're like, Lazarus, he is good and dead. This is it. He is not coming back. And Mary and Martha then are surrounded by these Jews who had come to Bethany to mourn with them. Now, I don't know if you've been to a funeral. It's not like, you know, we have many funeral crashers. You know, you have wedding crashers, but not many funeral crashers, right? People don't go, yeah, I want to get to the latest funeral. And, you know, we, we kind of step back from that. And when we're at, at funerals, even for those that we love that are closest to us, we try to hold our posture, right? And sometimes people just can't, and that's all part of the grieving process, and that's fine. But we tend to be more reserved in our culture. In this culture, they let loose, you can imagine, they were wailing and crying. There was inconsolable weeping because Lazarus was dead. They, they let all their emotions out. And Mary and Martha both say to Jesus, Jesus, why? Why didn't you just come sooner? Why didn't you just come sooner? Lazarus wouldn't be dead. Now, they believed in what Jesus could do. Why didn't you come sooner? Now, we know that Jesus was intentional about everything he did, even waiting for Lazarus to die. Because in this moment, in this, in this story, he's about to teach his disciples about who he is. And he says to, to, to uh, them, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will never die. We know from that Jesus knows exactly what's about to happen here. He's revealing it to them. He is gonna, he's showing them that he is, he is the, the vanquisher of death, the giver of life, as John talks about in chapter 1. He was there at creation, and he's about to reveal that to them. And in fact, in verses 39 to 44 of this passage, he does just that. He raises Lazarus from the dead. But something happens here that is sort of throws us off. Because Jesus does something here we, that sort of is meant to reveal to us his humanity, but also to help us with our grief. In verse 33 to 38, it says this. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Now, I grew up in church, and we had to memorize verses. So I love this verse because this was, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible. I can memorize a Bible verse. Jesus wept. I got it. It says then that the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man had kept this man from dying? And it says, Jesus was once more moved, deeply moved, when he came to the tomb. The words that are used in this for Jesus' emotion that he's experienced here are related to grief. He's, he has indignation. He is angry. And you're going, well, why is Jesus angry here? He's not angry at the people there. He's angry at death. 
that death is still robbing people of their life. He's angry with the pain that's being caused for these people, and his heart is aching. And he's angry, and he's sad at this moment because of the grief that he is experiencing in his humanity. This is one of those things that we need to remember. And I'll talk a little bit about this more. But as we walk by faith, we call ourselves people of faith and choose to follow Christ. It does not mean that we don't go through pain and suffering or that we have very real grief that we have to work through in our lives. When you are experiencing something, you don't have to go, okay, I, if I just believe enough, everything's going to be okay. If I just sort of push aside the grief or, or I'm going to deny that those things sort of happening in my mind because it's so painful. If I just have enough faith, things will turn out okay. They may not. Because that's the reality of life. We all go through grief. And that's why I love what the writer in Hebrews says. Listen to this, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, and the writer here is really uh, helping the, his audience to understand when he, that the high priest he's talking about here is Jesus because he's relating the, the Old Testament scriptures and the sacrificial system that they had for them. He says, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, and he makes it clear who this is, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then, he says, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you get nothing else today, understand this. God knows about grief. He understands it well. He feels it when we feel it, when we walk through it. So let's, let me help you a bit today with this and answer the question, how do we handle family grief and loss, whatever the reason for it? Just three quick things. And I'm no psychologist, but I've uh, tried to glean a few things that hopefully will help you today. Give yourself time to grieve. Even Jesus wept. Just sort of honestly acknowledge your grief and your emotions and don't feel guilty about them. Grief is a natural thing that we, is unique for us as humans that we need to go through when we experience loss. We have to. In fact, there's no quick fix. There's no, there's no cheat codes, if you're a video game person, to a quick uh, bypass to grief. There's no way we sort of get around it. You just have to walk through it. So do it. Give yourself time to grief. You'll go through shock and, and sadness and anger and guilt and fear and loneliness and physical effects of not wanting to get out of bed and, and at times feeling nauseated and, and being in denial and feeling guilt and all those sorts of things and depression. But at some point, as you walk through it, you'll get to that place of acceptance. But is, what is even harder 
than losing someone and then passing away, yet knowing where they are. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing that grief. But when there's someone in your family or in your life that you have a broken relationship with and you can't do anything about it to restore or you can't go back and change the things that happened there, the grief sometimes hangs on. There are times when I sit in my house and when I see a picture of a family member, it reminds me again of the grief of the loss that's there. Give yourself time to grieve, even when it's difficult. I like what the University of Washington Counseling Center says. Relax your expectations of how you should grieve and give up your need for control. We all grieve differently, and that's okay. Secondly, work through the why and the tension of no answers. In the Bible, there's a story of a man named Job. If you read it for the first time, you look at it, you might go, this guy's got a weird name. His name's Job. Who would give their child a name Job? But his name's Job, the way it's pronounced. <laughs> and, and in the story of Job, we sort of come into it knowing a little bit more, well, knowing a lot more than he knows. We know that there's this, there's this heavenly story that sort of happens where Satan comes and, and he wants to wreak havoc on, uh, on Job's life and God makes an allowance here because he has a plan in the midst of it and there's a whole other a scripture talk on that. But Job basically loses everything. Even his spouse says, Job, just curse God and die. And Job goes through this thing, he says, I won't. I don't know, but I, I won't give up here. And the story continues where he has friends that come to him who are supposed to help console him, and they end up uh, making it more miserable for him because they try to tell him, Job, you've obviously done something wrong. Just admit it, and then we'll get over this whole thing. And he hasn't done anything wrong. But over and over again, Job asks the question, why? Why, God? It's natural for us when we go through grief to ask that question. We just have to be careful with it. Because when we ask questions that there are no answers to, we can become like this hamster in a hamster wheel where we're just running, trying to find an answer to that, and I'm sorry that you're not going to find the answer always to the why questions. And sometimes it, it, it wreaks havoc on our faith. And sometimes we begin to question the character of God. Sometimes we begin to question our own character. If I had only done that differently, if, if I could just, if I hadn't done that or if that person hadn't done that, and we look at other situations and we see them and think, why does that person deserve that? Or why are they so happy? And I am experiencing this great loss. And it can be a cynical cycle where we, we spin out of control. And instead of going towards God, we go away from God. Because we feel like if he really cared about us, why would he allow this to happen? I can't answer that question. There's no answer to that why. What we have to do is learn to live in the tension of not having all the answers in life. And let me tell you today, listen today, it's okay. It's okay. We don't have to have all the answers 
One day when, you know, in eternity, when we have the opportunity to be with God, we'll have the opportunity to ask some questions, but you're not going to get answers for these in this life. We have to work at it. At the same time, I think we have to work towards an attitude of thankfulness for what we do have. In the midst of grief and loss of certain things, we can get so focused on that thing and, and that we don't have it anymore, that we've lost it, that we forget the other people and the other things that we have in our lives that we do have. Don't miss that. If you have a child who's far from you, don't neglect the kids that you have that are close to you that are, are, you're in relationship with, have, with them that you have. Invest in them. The other part that helps is just talking it through with people. Now, you can't do this with everyone, but there are certain people that you'll connect with that, are, that will be empathetic and will be encouraging to you. I'll be honest, this is hard for me to do. Sonia has an easier time with that. And Sonia's my wife, by the way, just in case you're wondering. But... She's in your time. And I remember we, a couple of weeks ago, we sat down with this couple, and we, didn't, we hardly even knew them, but we were with them. And, and she started to share with them the story of some of the things that we're going through in our life and with our family. And at first, I was like, oh, man, this is a little awkward for me because I don't really want to talk about this. I don't know these people that well. But that opportunity to just share actually opened the door for us to make a better connection with these people and they prayed with us, and we had the opportunity to pray with them, to encourage them, and to help them, and them to help us. Dr. Maury Joseph says, only when we give up trying to know what we can't know in advance can we make our minds available to experience life. Third thing I want to leave you with here. As you're going through grief, and I know this is a heavy message today, grief is a hard one, but I know it's very real for all of us. Walk with Jesus because he's already walking with you. There's a great little story in Luke chapter 24, after the resurrection, where these two disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're talking about all the events of Jesus' death and and the possibility of the resurrection. They're walking there, and suddenly Jesus starts walking with them, all right? But they don't recognize him. And so they're talking, and Jesus goes, what are you guys talking about? What, what's happening here? And, and they basically say, do you live under a rock? Because all of the things have been happening in Jerusalem, and, and, and this man was just crucified, and he was, you know, he was supposed to be our Savior, our Messiah, and they put him to death. And all of these things are happening, and they tell him the story of everything. And this is, and Jesus doesn't reveal himself. He just walks with them on this road, and he just listens to them to tell the story of what's happened. And it's him. He already knows, right? He could have said, hey, guys, it's me. I'm right here. But he conceals his identity from them at that moment. They don't recognize him. And he keeps walking with them. And at one point, he says, why don't you have more faith? And it says in the passage that he then tells them, using the scriptures from the Old Testament, he explains how he, or the Messiah, had come to die, and it was all a fulfillment. He unpacks it for them. And they keep walking, and they get to a place where there's sort of like a fork in the road, 
kind of thing, and Jesus is going to go one way, and they're going the other, and they go, no, why don't you come and have a meal with us? And they still don't know who it is. And Jesus goes, oh, okay. So he goes with them, and they sit down for this meal, and as they're about to eat, suddenly they realize who it was, and he disappears. And then they say this, Luke 24, 32. It says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Jesus took the time to walk down that road with these two disciples to help them to grasp what was happening, even though they didn't even know it was him. Jesus is always with us, no matter what we're going through as we follow him. And he extends compassion and comfort and grace and mercy to us continually as we go through grief. And as you walk with Jesus, as you go through grief, grow in your relationship with him. As hard as it may be in those moments to pray because you, you don't know what to pray, talk to him anyway because we know prayer is, is how we talk to God. It builds relationships. Even if you open the scriptures of the Bible and just read a few verses, maintain that relationship with him even in the midst of grief because he's there with you. And it's not like he's going to go, well, if you don't pray and read your Bible today, well, I'm sorry, I'm out of here. You're on your own. It's okay. You know, he extends grace to us, but we do it to help with our relationship. The other part to this is that Jesus in passing down his work to those who are followers of his, has called us all to walk with each other through grief. To be there for each other. To bring comfort, to serve each other. To sit in the sadness and to encourage to keep going. I've told this story before when uh, Sonny was first pregnant and we had a miscarriage at three months. And these friends of ours came over. They said, can we come over? We, we're going to bring over a meal, and food always goes well, right? They brought over a meal, and they just sat with us. And I've never forgotten that. And I remember we, we went to see them uh, September, I think, last year or the year before. We went to see them in BC. We hadn't seen them for a long time. We sat down, and I remember, um, <clears throat> I remember them asking and saying, remember that thing that happened back there? where you guys miscarried and we brought them, you know, was that sort of a little weird? Like, it just sort of felt awkward and I don't know, was that sort of a weird thing that we did? And, and we said, you know what? We have never forgotten that because you didn't need to say anything. You just chose to sit with us in our grief and to be there. And we have this opportunity to do that same thing for each other and for the people that live next door to us and people that we work with. We don't have to have all of the answers because we don't. But we have this opportunity just to be there for them. Emmanuel means God with us. And the solo parent blog talking about grief says this, and I, I, this is sort of cool. God with us in grief doesn't mean he comes and gives us back whatever we lost. Rather, he redeems us where we are now and where we are going, and he gives us a richer understanding 
of who he is. One of the incredible things that happens when we go through grief is that we actually bond in a new way with God. We experience him in a way that we haven't before because we haven't gone down that road before. And as we're going through it, he is there with us to walk with us. And from then on, we'll never forget those moments where God, where we were like, I don't know how I got through this on the other side, but I know he walked with me and he carried me through that grief. I want to finish with a message of hope. We have a new hope in spite of all of our grief. It's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we do not grieve like the rest of humankind who have no hope. We are in relationship with the God of eternity, the one who was there at the beginning and will be there at the end and walks with us through it all. And in all of it, part of his desire is to help us and to bring joy into our lives, even when we're experiencing grief, in helping us. And like in the words of Isaiah from chapter 61, to give a crown of beauty for ashes, joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair, and planting us, the visual, is like great oaks that can't be moved because he's with us. So even when we go through grief, we can learn that we have this opportunity to celebrate hope, and we may not feel it at the time, but there is hope for today, and there is hope for eternity. And as well as as we're going through it, God has this incredible way of while we're grieving, of sending people across our path who have a similar story that we have the opportunity to walk with them even if we're not through all of our grief, he still works in and through our lives. And it's never by accident. He brings those people into our lives. I want to pray with you this morning, pray for you, really. As we finish today, and Pastor Dave is going to come in just a moment. Maybe you're here today, and you're going through some grief. Whatever process, whatever stage it is, whatever the situation, I want to pray for you today. And you may go, well, I don't want to acknowledge it because Al don't ask me to raise my hand or stand or do anything like that. That's okay. No pressure. But maybe today, as a way of responding to what you've heard today, you may say, you know what? I want to stand today or I just want to lift my hand and Acknowledging I'm going through some grief today. I just need prayer. And if that's you today, I just want you to do that right now. Don't hesitate. If you, you just want prayer, you can just stand or just lift your hand. Just leave it up for a minute. Yep. All right. Awesome. And you're not doing this for me. You're just being, saying, God, I just acknowledge today that I need help. I need prayer today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those standing and with their hand raised this morning. God, thank you that you know their grief so well. You know every detail about their situation and what they're experiencing at this moment. And your heart is broken for them that they're having to go through that. 
and you feel it so very real today. God, I pray that you would give them such an overwhelming sense of your presence today, your love for them, your grace, your mercy. May they sense you in such a way and be reminded this morning that you are with them, that they are not alone through what they're going through. And you're going to walk with them no matter how long it takes to walk through it. And maybe they'll never really get through it all in this lifetime, but you've promised you will walk with them, God. And you're going to help them, comfort them today. God, I pray for all of us this morning. Give us hearts of empathy and compassion for people. That when we meet people, God, even when we don't know what to say, God, may we be reminded how important it is for us just to be there for people and for each other and to love unconditionally, to be your spokesperson, to be your hands and your feet in caring for people. Whatever that means, give us creative ways to do it. But help us to be people who walk with each other through our grief because we're not alone and we have so much hope. And God, we thank you for this today. In Jesus' name, amen.